Happy, happy summer. summer! Or, Happy Hey Ummersay. And if you speak Dutch, Froelijke Zoomer. Welcome to Echo Online. We want to inspire you to take your first steps into our life-giving local church and discover the community and support you've been searching for. Come join us for one of our services at Mayo High School at either 9.15 or 10.45 a.m. on Sundays. We can't wait to meet you and welcome you to our family at Echo Church. Our hope is that Echo will become your place where you feel a true sense of belonging, your people, where you find friendships and support, and your purpose, yes, yes, where definitely. you discover and fulfill your unique calling. We believe that's where we're all searching for, and we're excited to share it with you. Yes. Lastly, thank you for your generosity with both your time and finances. Yesterday, we had the time of our lives mm -hmm. serving the city and making a difference, all made possible by your willingness to support the church. Thank you for being part of a winning team. So donate today. Steward what has been given to you. You can donate by heading to our website or simply Venmo us at We Are The Echo Church. Enjoy, Enjoy the, the rest, rest of, of Echo Online. Holy, that's who you are. Angels, and I sing a song for your
How's everybody doing today? Got a question for you. Are you living your good life? Two people said yes. Are you living the good life? I hope so. We're in a series called The Good Life. It's just kind of an overarching summer theme for us. Um, we're, we're delving into First John and saying, Lord, what do you have to say to us this summer? And how do you want to transform us from the inside out? Everybody say the good life. Anybody want to hear a good joke? Yeah. When I say a good joke, it's a bad joke. That's all, all I have. That's all I have. So I got a friend. He had a cow milking job, but he was fired for erratic behavior. He was, uh, he was considered to be a danger to himself and others. <laughs> okay, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay, man, everybody said the good life. Good life. Um, I'll work on a joke for next week. Um, but uh, we are we are in the series, the Good Life. It's First John, and and uh, and just to kind of contextually uh, set it up, let me tell you a few things. As you open your Bible up to First John chapter two, okay. So you have your Bible, or you have your phone. First John chapter two. Verse 3 through 11, that's where we're going to go today. But contextually, we believe John wrote the book of 1 John. We at least know a John, okay? Uh, And we don't necessarily need to argue beyond it. But John's main concern is this, the unity of the church, the unity of believers. And John understood that if there was unity, then there needed to be healthy fellowship with one another, And he was so concerned about it. In fact, he was so concerned about it, he felt like he needed to continue to address some moral issues that were happening in the church. And those moral issues would eventually blend into social action. Everybody say moral issues. Moral stance that blends into a social reality. Because in his perspective, as he was seeing the church and how he was addressing it, was this, is there was a bunch of people that believed different things, and it never really went into their unity when it comes to behavior. How many of you know that we can believe in something, but not behave as we believe? And, and that's kind of where we're going to go today, just a little precursor. So let's go ahead, uh, open up the first John chapter 2, verse 3, if you haven't already, uh, and read along. It says, we know that we have come to know him, and if we keep his commands, if we can keep his commands, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. How many are glad you came to church today? I mean, he is just smacking us in the face. He's like, hey, man, it's, it's not as you know, easy as we think it is sometimes. Verse 5, it says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. That's the good news. But if any, anybody obeys the word, love for God truly made makes him complete, you know, made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. In verse 6, six whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. I read a version uh, every, or, uh, out of the Bible. It's called the complete Jewish version. And I want to uh, express uh, a desire for us to memorize this scripture during this week. I, I think it would be really healthy for us. It's uh, 1 John 2, verse 6. It says this, a person 
who claims to be continuing in union with him ought to conduct his life the way he did. The person who claims to be continuing in union with Jesus ought to conduct his life the way Jesus did. Everybody say conduct. Jesus. If, if, if we're going to stay within Jesus, we've got to act like Jesus. And I'll get back to this in a moment. In verse 7, it says this. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is a message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brothers and sister is still in the darkness. And anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them that will make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother and sister is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. John is concerned He is concerned that the moral stance of loving one another should be lived out on a daily basis. He's concerned because what he he sees is this, is people who are claiming to be in the light, but truly they're living in the dark. And if we're being honest, it is so easy to jump back and forth on that trapeze line in our life. But what he's trying to do is present this idea that if we want to live the good life, then we've got to live as Jesus lived. And then he gives that illustration, this, this idea in this illustration of hating our brother. And if we hate our brother, then we're in essence living in the darkness. And if we live in darkness, then then we cannot live out the good life that God has created for us. And as as I was studying this scripture, I was reading a few commentaries, and and this is what they say. A person's word, this is what it says on this specific passage, a person's word must be tested by his works. True love for God is expressed not in sentimental language or mystical experience, but in moral obedience. For we cannot claim to live in him unless we behave like him. Did you all hear that? We cannot claim to live within Jesus unless we begin to behave like him. Now, some of you are like, Andy, you really messed with me, man. What about this grace thing? Yes, we believe in the grace. Of God. We believe that God has forgiven us, that it's a free gift. We can't earn it. We can't gain it. It's just given to us. But at the same time, we understand that we can't just believe it, but our faith will be proven by our works. The commentaries mostly all agree that what John is trying to say is this you believe it and you behave it. Everybody say, you believe it, you should behave it. We cannot claim to live in him unless we behave like him. So as I was processing this, as I was chewing on it, the one question that stirred up in my soul is this. Well, how did Jesus conduct his life? 
I mean, really, we believe that Jesus came and he lived the good life, right? He displayed it before us. Now we need to ask, how did he conduct his life? How did he behave? And if he behaved a certain way, maybe we should behave a certain way. So what I want to do is I'm going to tell you nine ways that Jesus conducted his life. And then I kind of want to dial and drill down on one more than the others. Why is that important? Well, because this is the big idea today. Belief alone has never changed the world. It's only behavior that truly makes the difference. Belief belief alone will not change the world. But it is our behavior that will ultimately change the world around us. It's not just about the good idea. It's about the good action that needs to follow Action motivated, I believe this, action motivated by belief is the true catalyst for lasting change. Did you hear that? Action motivated by your faith, your trust in Jesus, the belief that you hold ultimately motivates your action and that action will become the catalyst for change around you. How many of you have ever been around someone who claims to be a Christian but acts in contrary. I'm telling you, that is not motivating you. It, it is actually kind of hurting you. You know what I'm saying? It's, a, it's, it's where you struggle and you look at people and you view them maybe a little bit hypocritical and then you realize like, oh, I'm judging them and you look in yourself in the mirror and realize, oh, I could probably do better too, you know? Um, Tyler Staten says it like this and I, I love how he says it with, with this big idea in mind. True theory is powerless until practiced. True theory is powerless until practiced. And and so how did Jesus conduct his life? Here's just a few of them that we're going to throw on the screen, about nine of them. Uh, And there's obviously more, but I don't have time to tell you about any more. I kind of threw submissive up on top because, because I think that's a hard one to live out. You know what I'm saying? Like, like when you see the word submissive, does anybody like, like, can we just be a little honest? Like the skin, the skin begins to crawl a little bit, you know, like it's kind of against our, 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 um, our way of thought and our thinking. In fact, I think most of us, you know, if you're told to do something, we, we internally have this issue of like, don't tell me what to do. You know what I'm saying? So some submissive is, is difficult, but if we, but if, We lean into scripture and we look at how Jesus lived his life. He lived his life in a submissive way. Even within the authorities of of the authority, you know, foundation, you know, to a certain degree. But obviously he stood underneath the foundation of God. And in Luke 22, 42, he says this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Jesus himself modeled this idea of submission under authority. I think a lot of us, like when we hear about the freedom that Jesus provides, we just assume, well, with freedom, there's just freedoms. You know, we can do whatever we want. And, And I think a lot of times we look at the Old Testament stories and specifically the Exodus story, and we see how the Israelites are under condemnation and a horrible, uh, a horrible king, right? A dictatorship and under certain pressure to perform. And they're crying out to God, bring us freedom. And so Moses comes into the scenario and he comes to Pharaoh and he says let my people go 
But a lot of times we just stop at that little statement and say, yes, that's what God wanted to do for people. But we forget the next thing that says, let my people go so that they might worship the one true God. See, what I'm trying to tell you is is this, is your faith isn't just about freedom. Your faith is about service. It's about choosing to not serve self, but serve the God that created you. See, God created us to be servants. See, we will serve God or we will serve self. And I just want to ask you this, for those that have been serving yourself for year upon year, for years, like, how's that going for you? See, God has created his beings to worship him and to fall under the submission that God has created for you. So that's how Jesus conducted his life. That's only, that's only the first one. I'm excited for the rest. You know what I'm saying? You know, the second one is sinless. I mean, man, what a, what a, what a high, high, high um, goal in mind. I mean, sinless, my word, okay? Second Corinthians uh, 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I guess what I'm trying to tell you is this, is you might not be able to live sinless for the rest of your life, but we sure should try. <laughs> we sure should try. I think so often we can, we can, you know, like we just kind of chuck it all up for grace and like, well, we'll be forgiven. But no, I actually think that if we're going to remain in the light and we're going we're gonna to try to live out the good life that God has ordained, that it takes effort from our behalf and intentionality and a certain way of living to remain sinless as best as we can. You know what I'm saying? Like metaphorically speaking, like if we don't want to eat a nutty bar, then guess what? Don't be buying those anymore. And a lot of times what we do is we don't want to sin. We don't want to fall short. We don't want to be doing these types of behaviors that are not building us up but destroying us. But we're still buying into them. And then we're so surprised on this side. Why is that happening to me? See, God wants us to live this sinless life. Some of us, we look at the Ten Commandments and we've turned them into the Ten Suggestions. <laughs> that was a great idea, God. I love it. We don't have to live, live about it. You know, we don't have to live through it. And, and I just want to tell you that the Ten Commandments, our framework, which leads into the next one, love and compassion. The Ten Commandments are a simplified framework and how we can love God and love people. That's where John, the author of 1 John, talks about the, this is not a new command. This is a command that you already know. And oh, by the way, live it. And guess what? Most of our sin comes when we don't love God and we don't love people. Which, by the way, people, you should put yourself in that little, that little circle. It's not loving ourselves, And therefore, we cannot love people and we cannot love God fully. So if we're going to conduct our life the way that Jesus lived, we need, to love, we need to be full of love and compassion. How about this one? If we're going to live our life like Jesus and conduct uh, our lives as he did, we need to be full of humility. I heard this the other day that in order to be humble, you've had to be humiliated. We can see Jesus' willingness to humble himself as he washes his disciples' feet. And uh, just a couple days ago, uh, or a couple weeks ago, we 
I had a discussion with our men's table group on Wednesday night, and we were talking about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and I posed this one question. Is it, is it actually more humbling to wash the feet or have your feet washed? If you've never participated in anything like that, you may not know what I'm talking about, but I have had a moment in my life where someone wanted to wash my feet, and it is absolutely humbling for me to submit to what he felt he needed to do. God wants us to live within humility. That means sometimes we just need to be willing to be humiliated. Again, maybe not in a massive sense, but maybe in some small senses. And I just sense there's someone in the room here, man, maybe you struggle with humility and God wants to remind you that, that, that you are to continue to give your pride your unhealthy view of self to Jesus today so that you might stay in the light and live within the good life that God has created you. How about this empathy? <laughs> empathy is hard. Come on, come on. Someone raise your hand. Empathy is hard. Okay, is it just me? Yeah, empathy is Hard. It is difficult because we are a judgmental people. But if we're going to live our life like Jesus lived, then we've got to be people of empathy. When Jesus came on the scene and he saw the people all struggling at the death of Lazarus, he wept with them. He put himself in someone else's shoes. And I want to remind you today, this isn't something you've never heard of, but you have gone through certain things in life so that you are just more naturally empathetic when other people are going through similar situations that you've gone through in the past. And today is a reminder that guess what? Like that, that past isn't meant to be something that is just held on as a hurt, but ultimately a weapon for good in order to make a difference through belief, right? Moral action into a social reality. Some of you, you've downplayed your hurt and you're not living up to the empathetic person that God tried to create you to be. How about this one? Integrity. Matthew 5, 37, Jesus was teaching and letting us know and be reminded that our yeses are to be yeses and our noes are to be noes. Patience, how about this one? Every parent in your room say, oh me. Jesus patiently explained the scriptures to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus patiently walked the road, you know, met metaphorically speaking, with his disciples for three and a half years and over and over and over again. Peter puts his foot in his mouth, but yet Jesus looks at him and says, you are going to be the rock, the small little pebble of the church. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's kind of crazy to think about it, but, but it's a reminder for us that if Jesus was patient to Peter, then guess what? You should be patient to people. I kind of blew that this last week. I was, we were up north and um, Zion, oh, sorry, I said her name. Um, and I had like 17 people come up to me. What daughter was it? I should have said it, but I did it anyway. Uh, her and Christy were going to go measure a few things around the camp, whatever, you know, we call it camp, camp cast. And, and uh, they had the 100 foot uh, measure, measuring tape. And, and just before, uh, just before they went to go measure, I said to my daughter, I said, 
Do not go past 90 feet. Come on, you all know where this is going. <laughs> and all the dads go, uh-huh. And they come back, you know, a few minutes later, and she's like reeling, and she's like, Dad, it won't go in. And right at that moment, I was like, ha, ha, I said, did you not hear that I said 90 feet? She goes, no. Well, I said, well, did you go past 100? She goes, yeah. I went way past 100. <laughs> and I blew the patient moment, and I, I just kind of like threw it on the ground, broken before me, and turned around and moved on as the day. How many know it's so difficult to conduct your life the way Jesus conducted it? But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try with those that matter most in our life. And so often, bedtimes, right? You know what I'm saying? Y'all, y'all know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Uh, chores, it's those types of things. Uh, roommate situations, it's workplace drama. It's so difficult to be patient. Instead of being patient, we react and letting, instead of letting God respond in that moment and maybe do something within you so that he can do something through you. God is calling us to be patient. How about this? Number eight, generosity. Jesus, I love this story. Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus is commending the widow who gave her last coin. Other, there's other stories, Luke 6, 30, where Jesus is teaching about giving to those that are around him. And, and you know what, man? Jesus is commending the, wid- or commending the widow who gave her last coin. But yet there are some of us in here, we spend every dime. And we, because we spend it, we have no margin to give. If we're going to live the good life that God has ordained in our life, then we've got to become known for being people of generosity, not people that are giving out of our abundance, although that is important, but giving out of what we do not have. We should be people that are looking intentionally at our finances and asking the question, how can I give more instead of how can I spend less? And maybe both. God desires us to be generous, not only with our finances, but with our time and within our service. And that's why I'm excited about Serve Day next week. Sign up, go on the email and join the team. We're so excited to go ahead and be a generous people that that not only believe in Jesus, not only have our firm foundation in who Jesus Christ is, but let it lead into our social reality and circle around us. Service and generosity matters. Lastly, and I want to dial into this one just a little bit more. Everybody say forgiveness. Forgiveness. John uses the reference of if you hate the social issue. If you hate a person, you are in the darkness. And what he's trying to challenge us to do today is deal with our unforgiveness. And let me just kind of wrap that back just one step further. There's some of you in here, you're like, man, Andy, I don't hate. I don't really have any unforgiveness. But what you do have is a little seed of bitterness in your heart. And that's what I feel like you came to church to hear. 
Some of you, you came into this space and, and, and honestly, like, like you're like, man, I don't hate anybody and no one hates me and every life is good. I'm living the good life. But you are in, you're on, I believe, on the verge of stepping out of the good life because you've allowed a seed of bitterness to be planted within your heart. You don't even really think about it much. But when you see that person, when they say something a certain way, I mean, some of you have allowed that seed of bitterness to be sprouted into just a, a little bit of a weed of growth above surface. And in fact, some of you have displayed your bitterness to a close person to talk trash about someone near you. You may not hate them. There might not be a lot of unforgiveness, or at least you're not calling that, but there is bitterness that is beginning to pull you into the dark. And in fact, I was given this image, and if I could do it here where everybody could see it, I would, but I had this image of a hand coming out from the center of this curtain, and they're, they're grasping the back of your shirt and pulling you backstage. I think some of us are in that type of situation today where you're living the good life, but the bad life could come really quickly because you've been sitting there in bitterness. And bitterness leads to unforgiveness and unforgiveness ultimately leads to hate. I like how the commentary said it. Hatred distorts our, distorts our perspective. You hear that? Hatred distorts our perspective. Let me say it like this. Unforgiveness distorts our perspective. Bitterness distorts our perspective. We do not first misjudge people and then hate them as a result. Our view of them is already jaundiced by our hatred. It is love which sees straight, thinks clearly and makes us balanced in our outlook, judgments, and conduct. If we're going to remain in the good life that God has ordained, then he's asking for us to address our bitterness. Last night, about nine o'clock, I received two different phone calls on the church line the first one I missed or something happened where I couldn't hear the person. And the second time I got the call and the, the other person on the other line had said, um, hey, is this Echo Church? I was like, yeah, this is Pastor Randy. I mean, how can I help you? And, uh, and he goes, oh, hey, do you know the, who this is? And I was like, uh, no. You know, I was kind of, you know, how many agree that it's being put on the spot? I was like, uh, no, I, no, I don't think so. And then what happened next is he hung up on me. And I was like, oh, that hurt a little bit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he gave me three seconds to guess who it was. And, and what's kind of funny is I kind of thought I knew who it was, but wasn't given the time to do it. And, 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 and I tell you this story because last night was an opportunity for a root of bitterness to be planted in my heart. And I am verbalizing it today saying, I will not allow a, a high expectation about who I am and what I'm supposed to do uh, ultimately be rooted in my heart so that I don't love the people of God. I mean, I gotta be honest, like after I got off that phone, like I had some Jesus time. I had a moment where I'm like, what is going on? Like, was that for real? 
You know, I had a moment where like, man, I don't really want to be patient here. I want to call that person back. And, and I just tell you this is sometimes when those roots of bitterness or that seed is thrown in your way, you know, here's the deal. Like you can look at them and try to indict them and you can try to judge them and you can say, well, guess what, man? You know, they're just being unfair and, and they're, you know, they're unhealthy. But maybe the question you should be asking, like I asked myself last night, is this is how am I unhealthy in this scenario? And will I allow this situation to form a root of bitterness in my heart. And I just sense that some of you, you, this has happened. And I share this story to remind you it's little moments that ultimately can begin to send you in the direction that you do not want to go. Jesus today, We want to remain with you. And for some of us, we have unknowingly walked in the wrong direction. For some of us, we have had that hand behind the curtain pull us deeper into the darkness. And today, God, I just sense this is nothing new, but it is just a simple reminder that you are calling us to conduct our life as you did, particularly with this idea of bitterness, forgiveness, and hatred. God, I just ask that today, beyond my words, but by your spirit, that you would do the work that you've ordained from the beginning of time, that today would be a day where people forgive for the very first time, for people who begin to let go and let you do the work that you desire in them. God, I just ask that you would just go ahead and and uproot the roots of bitterness within us, that God, we would not go ahead and hold the grudge, God, that, that, that we would not hold the person down, but God, that we would release them for other people for freedom, realizing that when we do that, we gain freedom ourselves. Jesus, help us remain in the good life. May we live life like you live. And we acknowledge today that we cannot do that without you. So we surrender. Here we are. Hear our hearts. Hear our minds. Hear our hurts. Hear our pains. Hear our experiences. Hear our obstacles. Jesus, have it all. Have all of me. The good and the bad. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Anybody need to hear this today? Anybody? Everybody stand up. We're going to pray the prayer that we pray every week. And this is a reminder of God's grace. The free gift of freedom and service to the king above all kings. The name above all names, King Jesus. If you've not prayed this prayer ever before, man, I just, I just want to encourage you that there are hundreds of people in this room today that pray this prayer every week because we willingly acknowledge that we're weak and he is strong. Come on, everybody, let's pray this. Jesus, I surrender. I have more questions than answers, but I choose to follow you anyway. I acknowledge that you lived, you died, and you rose again, all with us in mind. 
I accept the rescue that you offer. Save me and lead me in Jesus' name and his authority. Amen. Let's press into Jesus for the next few minutes.
know how you can tell it's a good message when you're like, yeah, that's awesome, and also I don't feel so good about it. You know, it's like, oh man, I totally got like three of those nine down, but the other six, I'm just dropping the ball. 